Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Lord, without the crushing of your law, we will not see how every last human being elevates themselves before you and the danger that this presents to our relationship with you on this earth and our eternal salvation. Therefore, we ask you to bless the words of today's sermon that we may be brought to see our own arrogance before you, but also to see how wonderfully you have elevated us by sharing your glory and grace with us. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Proverbs chapter 25, verses 6 through 7. Allow me to read my own translation. Do not honor yourself in the presence of a king. Do not stand in a place reserved for great people, because it's better to be told, come up here, than for you to be set in a lower place in the presence of a noble. Your eyes have seen this. This is the word of our Lord. In America today, we don't get invited to banquets with the king. And if you had a higher place in the court, you had a closer position to the king. So if you were trying to elevate yourself and look good, you would sit in a higher place. I have a saying today, because we get frustrated when people at work, for example, take credit for our work so that they can brag in themselves. Or maybe at meetings at work, sit at a place closer to the boss to... Well, we, we have different terms for saying to try to get his good favor. We have a saying, we say, I sure hope somebody knocks him off his high horse, right? And at the end of our Proverbs, literally the Hebrew text says, your eyes have seen this. You've seen this in your everyday life. In English today, we'd say this is a no-brainer. While we might not sit at the table of kings today, we still often stand in the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And there are ways in which we try to elevate ourselves before the King of Kings that maybe aren't so obvious to us, maybe aren't such no-brainers. And so today, as we look at applying this text in the many ways we can elevate ourselves before the King of Kings, we'll ask the question, do you want God to knock you off your high horse? And the very first way, if we look at a way that God needs to knock us off our high horse, is in that stage of life when we are unbelievers. It used to be, when I first started in the ministry, if you were doing a cold call on somebody who knew nothing about the Bible, that you often simply asked the question, if you were to die tonight and stand before the Lord's judgment throne, and He were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, how would you respond? And the typical answer was, well, I didn't cheat on my taxes. Uh, I didn't steal from my neighbor. And I help my neighbor out sometimes. I've basically been a good person. And there it is, brothers and sisters in Christ. That is the natural religion of mankind. The natural religion in our sinful nature is the idea that we are good enough, we do have the potential, and if we do the right righteous or holy things, then God should let us into heaven. And if that's the way we think, God needs to knock us off our high horse. He sends a messenger with the law that tells us you have to be perfectly holy. Only God is perfectly holy. And that's the holiness you have to have if you're to have a relationship with God and to enter the gates of heaven into all eternity. Oh, but that's a scary thing, isn't it? Wow, that is quite a punch upside the head. That knocks you right off the high horse. But then the heart is ready to hear the good news. Your righteousness will not save you because you are not righteous, but God, God's righteousness will. And so God became a man and he took away your sin and he's credited you with his righteousness. He's elevated you to God's righteousness and that's your new man. 
Yet sadly, as Christians, after trusting in Jesus for salvation, we can turn around and depend on our own righteousness yet again. We do this in one of two ways. The first way is what Martin Luther was addressed. It was the medieval scheme of salvation. And again, that's the idea like you've left the headlights on your car so your battery's dead. So they see original sin that you're dead before the Lord. But God comes along and gives you a jump start. And then just like your car, if you stay on the gas and it idles, the alternator will eventually recharge the battery. So the idea is God gets you started and then you start earning your salvation. This gives God some credit. But it puts most of it in you and your righteousness. And if that's the case, brothers and sisters in Christ, again, God's law, if we look at it, comes right along and says, apart from God, you are not righteous. You cannot earn your salvation. This often comes in despair when a person says, have I done enough? How can I know if I'm going to heaven? And how that heart is ready to hear. That's why you have somebody else's righteousness, Christ. Now, in America today, we tend to turn that one on the head. You jumpstart yourself by making your decision. And God gives you a little help along the way. He's taken away the hardest things. And then you start doing your best. And prayerfully, at some point in time in this life, you actually reach the point where you're holy. Same thing. How can you know when you're holy enough? Only when you worry about that, you're told, do your best and God will do the rest. But again, this is denying that God's righteousness has been credited to you. This is not faith. The ultimate way that God lifts us up is when we hear his word that Christ has given you his righteousness. So that when God looks at Christ, he sees your unholiness. And when he looks at you, he sees Christ's righteousness. You literally have God's righteousness in your new man. Do we want God to knock us off our high horse if we're going to depend whether it's 10%, 90% on our own righteousness? Yes. Because if we're dependent on our own righteousness, we're not trusting in God's righteousness and we are not going to end up in heaven. So we need God to knock us off that high horse. But you know, after we have become believers and we recognize it's Christ's righteousness, the next uh, high horse we can get on is the Pharisaical high horse. I look at my neighbor's sin that I don't struggle with and I think I'm a better Christian than them. I think I'm better than them because God has blessed me not to struggle with that sin. This is epitomized by the example Jesus gave of the Pharisee and the tax collector who went to the temple. The Pharisee looked at the tax collector and said, Lord, I thank you that I ain't like this scumbag. And what did the tax collector do? He knew he was a sinner and he beat his chest and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And which one does Jesus say went home forgiven? It wasn't the one who came before the Lord to brag about himself. It was the one who came before the Lord to beg for mercy. Now, in contrast to that inflating ourselves as a Pharisee, God's got to knock us off that high horse too, doesn't he? By showing us that we have our own sins that others don't struggle with as well. But the thing is, God elevates us in an amazing way, brothers and sisters in Christ, once he's knocked us off that high horse. You see, true God came out of his throne ruling over all creation, and he became a man. And as Philippians said, he didn't just become a king, he took on the form of a servant. He literally served you by living perfectly in your place. He served you then at the culmination of his life, roughly age 33, by putting your sins on himself and bearing the punishment for them so that with his own blood, he paid the adoption price 
and adopted you into God's kingdom, which means our God became a servant to make you nobility, to make you prince and princesses in his kingdom. And now we, as priests in that royal priesthood, get to be his mouthpiece in telling others, Christ has removed your sin. Think about how highly he has elevated you. But what happens when we don't have that servant's attitude in being priests? Brothers and sisters in Christ, there's another high horse we get on. And that's somebody sins against us and we just keep looking at it even after they've asked for forgiveness and we keep scratching that like a mosquito bite and we just get bitterer and bitterer and we're refusing to forgive. How dare they? But brothers and sisters in Christ, when we refuse to forgive somebody who is a penitent, especially who's asked for our forgiveness, we're actually elevating ourselves above God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And we're saying, no, not that person, because I may sin against you every day, God, but that person made the mistake of sinning against me. Once again, God's got to knock us off our high horse and say, no, 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 my child. That is the attitude of this sinful nature, cutting the new man off from the branch that we have been engrafted to that is Jesus Christ. And yet again, when we're knocked off that high horse, we're elevated so beautifully when we understand that you were so precious to God that he took on your human flesh. That he thought of you when he was on the cross. That even though we sin against God virtually in our thoughts by the minute, he removes your sin and remembers them no more. So brothers and sisters in Christ, here we are nobility. We've got it all cleared out with the forgiveness of sins. And we're functioning as priests should and recognizing that joy of being able to proclaim God's law and gospel. But then there's another way we can get on a high horse. See, God has made you a priest, but he's given you natural and spiritual gifts to serve him, even in your workplaces. That doesn't mean you have to go off and become pastors and stuff like that. No. But we can often forget in the workplace that our gifts are from the Lord. Well, Mr. Messerschmitz, you sure did a good job and the company looked good when you were done and you bailed us out. Yeah, I'm a pretty intelligent guy there. I had this. I need this promotion. We can forget that God gave us those natural gifts and inflate our own ego. And let us not forget that God has given us spiritual gifts to help us serve that proclamation of forgiveness in Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we can easily forget those spiritual gifts are from God and we can get a swollen head about those. Ironically, the way that this is done the most in Christianity is towards charismatic gifts, things like speaking in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, you don't have Holy Spirit baptism and you're not really a full Christian. You're a lesser Christian is the way that attitude tends to go. Ironically, there's a lot of 1 Corinthians that was written because people were saying specifically that about that specific gift. And yet Christians still miss it today. We can forget that God has given us our natural and spiritual talents to serve Him. And yet, once we're knocked off our high horse there and we use our talents, then we truly understand what a blessing it is that God has given them to us. And so it is that I've said before, and I'll say it again, I often see there's two kinds of people who come to ask me about their spiritual gifts. 
The first kind is somebody who you often don't see that much in church anyways, and they want to know what their spiritual gifts are. They're not serving, so they don't know what their spiritual gifts are. And so they ask because they really want to have an inflated ego. Look at the spiritual gift God has given me. But then there's the other kind who often comes and talks to me. They have a servant's heart. You see them serving in the congregation and and using their spiritual gifts, and they might not even be aware of what their spiritual gifts are, while God's glory and grace is shining so beautifully through them because they have a servant's heart that's motivated by the servant of all, true God who became true man and gave them those blessings. But brothers and sisters in Christ, even then when we start using our gifts in the congregation and not thinking so much that look at how wonderfully gifted I am, we can turn around and climb onto the high horse of thinking we're owed something in the church. Let me give you an example. I've heard of it time and time again. A congregation goes into something like a building project to expand their church, and something else happens and a member gets upset. And they think because of all the offerings they're given, they're owed something by that congregation. I'd like to see them build that new addition without my offerings. The amazing thing is, one of the ways God knocks that attitude off its high horse is, and I've seen and heard it before, then the congregation turns around and builds for it and pays it off way faster without that person's offerings. Or sometimes people say, I was born and baptized in this church, I was confirmed in this church, and then after that I married somebody who was of a different faith that holds to false teachings and I ran off to their church. But now I'm visiting! And I think I'm owed to be able to partake in the Lord's Supper and dirty it up with the false confession of false teaching that I tolerate. No, you can't take that with it. But I was confirmed in this church. I was baptized in this church. My grandfather built this building with his bare hands. You know, when we think that we're owed something by a congregation, what we're really saying is, God, you owe me for my service. But when God knocks us off that high horse and says again, no, I gave you those gifts. We understand there's a beautiful thing in the good news of salvation. You see, God doesn't need you to tell your neighbor or your children or your relatives or friends the good news of salvation in Christ. He blesses you with the privilege of being able to tell your neighbor and children and friends how wonderful it is to know I will see my children in heaven because God privileged me of sharing with them the word of God and getting to see their faith embrace it that God has given them. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when we see that privilege, it changes everything, doesn't it? It is a privilege. And even sometimes churches can approach offerings the wrong way and say, you'd better give. But when we see offerings as a privilege, God gives me everything and he lets me take this money I've earned And actually, he will glorify it and privilege it to serve the good news of salvation. That changes everything. But while we're talking about serving, there's often a way in which we can get on a high horse when it comes with using our gifts. And and that's the idea that my time is too important to serve the Lord in his church. Now, certainly as we grow older, the way we serve the Lord is going to change. And some of our uh, careers are, are harder than others. I'm talking about the sinful attitude that's never, ever willing to serve in the church because they just always think they're too busy or they are just, their time is just too important. Then comes God's strong proclamation of the law. 
Oh, you think that your time is too important? You're telling me that I didn't create enough time for you? God created the world in six days, brothers and sisters in Christ. But there are seven days in our week. He rested on that day. He wanted to set an example and to tell us, I made an extra day for you to take time to hear my word in which I feed you. And when we hear that word, we also find out the beautiful reassurance that God, who is above time, spent approximately 33 years subjected to time in the life of our Savior. And then he died for you and he rose for you and he rules over all time and history for you. So if we think our time is more important than than we can serve God with, he's going to knock us off our high horse. But he also elevates us when we realize He literally makes all time serve to your eternal well-being as he rules through time and history for you. Uh, But then we get the person who we can see this sometimes in voters meetings or ladies league meetings or or different group meetings and things like that. Where Just picture a bunch of people around a table and we'll picture chairs with wheels and it gets announced. We need somebody to volunteer to do this in our congregation. All of a sudden all the chairs get pushed away from the table. Everybody looks up at the corner. Nobody's volunteering. And then finally somebody says, well, I'll do that. And then at least one or two people who weren't willing to volunteer before, suddenly they become the boss. Make sure you do this. Make sure you get it done by this time frame. Make sure you do it in this way. Who's elevating themselves there? The person who turns around and becomes the boss over somebody else's volunteering. They didn't get it done in the time I wanted. And the truth of the matter is, if this is a sin that you struggle with, then volunteer yourself. If you want it done in a particular time frame or in a particular way, and you can't do it yourself, then offer to pay the professional to come in. Because you're not the boss. God's got to knock us off the high horse and say, no, you're domineering over my little lamb's gifts that I've given them, and they'll get it done in the time that I've allowed for them to do it. But brothers and sisters in Christ, once again, contrasting that, that high horse of bossing people around to a volunteer is the gentle wooing of the good news of salvation in Christ that tells us again, God is the boss of us. And yet God gently calls us to be his children and leads us as the gentle shepherd. Now let's just put ourselves into worship. One of the ways we can elevate ourselves in worship. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, we all have the tendency to be selfish and elevate ourselves. Whether we're talking about using the liturgy or throwing it away, when we start talking about what we prefer and what we want, who is the God who's truly being worshipped? Ourself. Lots of times we see people who the liturgy was written over 2000 years and it's written practically and it was written, ironed out in history. And it really does a beautiful job of serving the proclamation of the word. But there are people that will insist on the liturgy itself as if it's the inspired word of God, because that's what they want. That's wrong. And there are people who want to scrap the liturgy altogether for selfish reasons. That's wrong, too. And if we listen lots of times to the modern hymns, because lots of times people, they don't come to worship God. They come to be entertained. And if we listen to the kind of hymns they want to sing, they're, oh, Lord, I do this and I do that. And it's because I want to praise you. Who are they really singing about? Themselves. That's a high horse we need to be knocked off of. Because true worship is hearing God's will 
and obeying it. And the truest act of worship we give to God is when we trust that He has done all the work for our salvation. Now here's the amazing thing. When we come to worship God out of thanks and praise for saving us, guess who receives all the benefits? God doesn't need your worship. It's not like He's going to grow weaker if we're not singing His praises. Instead, you come to hear His Word and God tells you, I have forgiven you. I've made you my child. He nourishes you with His sacraments. He strengthens your faith and assures you of the forgiveness of sins. Last thing I'm going to say as we wrap up this sermon. What is one of the ways God knocks us off our high horse? What is one of the ways God keeps us off of our high horse? Martin Luther used to call the opposite the theology of glory. Today we've come to call it the theology of prosperity. And it's the idea that if you follow God's rules, then He's going to make your life hunky-dory and suffering is bad. But brothers and sisters in Christ, lots of times, and this is not always why God allows suffering in our life, but God allows suffering in our life to knock us off our high horse or to keep us from getting on a high horse. It's one of the reasons why God allows suffering. Really, when we're suffering, it is God keeping his I love you and keeping you from getting on a high horse so that we are not forfeiting our eternal salvation. Jesus said in our gospel lesson, Luke chapter 14, verse 11, Yes, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is the difference between the Pharisee who comes exalted, I thank you, I'm not like this tax collector, and the tax collector who can only humbly beat his chest and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's the tax collector who went home forgiven. So we ask that question, do you want God to knock you off your high horse? And the answer is, yes. That high horse is going to cost me my eternal salvation. If it's going to create problems for a brother or sister in Christ that may end up driving them away from the Lord, please, Lord, knock me off and knock me off hard. Because he does so using suffering in order to keep us in our eternal salvation and relationship with him. Amen. And now after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself restore, establish, strengthen and support you. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.